Welcome to Strategies for Turbulent Times with your hosts, Matthew Werner and Dr. Kathy Greenberg, here to help you stare down adversity, adapt, improvise, and overcome the challenges you are facing in your own life. Now, here are Dr. Kathy and Captain Matthew. Welcome to Strategies for Turbulent Times. It is yet another Friday, and I've been told by the audience to try to be a little more upbeat, because I usually am very somber on Fridays, but I have to say today, I'm excited to be here with Matthew, my co-host, because we are coming to you right after one of the most exciting programs that we've been at, and it is the... Uh, Chief Executive Leadership Conference hosted by our sponsor, the National Command and Staff College. And we had an amazing week here in San Gaston, Florida, with uh, around 60 chiefs and sheriffs and leaders from across the nation in law enforcement. And I have to tell you, we had just, we have fabulous speakers. We had Paul Zach talking about. Uh, his new application for measuring life satisfaction, happiness, and his new book, Immersion. We had Doc Springer, Dr. Shauna Springer, talking about uh, all of the new work that they're doing at the Stella Institute to help us with trauma and avoiding trauma. Uh, obviously, Matthew was a speaker. I was a speaker. Uh, Dan Schilling uh, was a speaker. We just had a great Uh, and I'm really super energized. Uh, Today, we're going to have another exciting talk about um, human terrain mapping and behavior pattern recognition, also known as a six-layer concept. And today, we have an expert on the subject, uh, Lynn, a.k.a. Sherpa Westover, who served 12 years as an infantryman, forced reconnaissance team leader, and scout sniper in the Marine Corps. Lynn spent three months in Afghanistan, unarmed and embedded, teaching insider threat situational awareness and taught human behavior pattern recognition to members of the special operations communities. Uh, you know those folks. I'm sitting here with one, uh, and special forces. And in, in his bio on our host page, uh, you can see all the teams that Lynn worked with personally. Uh, he is a highly sought-after trainer, especially for first responders, and that's where we met Lynn at our other sponsor, the CapOps Conferences. And the HTM BPR that six-layer human terrain mapping and behavior pattern recognition is a science-based predictive analysis and proactive decision-making model that enhances responders' safety. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's based on lessons learned from developing that human behavior pattern recognition and analysis programs uh, that Lynn has done for, for many, many years uh, across the Department of Defense, and of course, the Department of Defense actively continues to work in this area, as do other agencies uh, that you know I've worked with, especially the FBI. The six-layer concept 
of human behavior pattern recognition and environmental understanding is articulated through these layers, including things like the geographic, atmospheric, biometric, and kinetic data. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that and how it works through some of the case studies that Lynn's been a part of. And we're going to, of course, uh, talk a little bit more how, about how these things have the goal of being able to control a reaction and redirect the desired outcome of the reaction that's intended. So uh, before we bring Lynn on, Matthew, anything you want to add here? Because I'm sure you've been exposed to this. <laughs> well, for the audience, I tell you, it's... Um, it's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. <laughs> that's why I'm laughing right now, because if, uh, if you missed any of that or you're asking yourself, like, what in the world is I know, all I'm all, I'm all tongue-tied then uh, feel free to go to voiceamerica.com and uh, look us up, and you can see the acronyms on online. <laughs> so that way you can actually wrap your brain around. A lot of it, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm going to bring Lynn on because, Lynn, I think we can use a story. Um, and welcome to the show, Lynn. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. I've uh, <laughs> been looking forward to this, this conversation. Yeah, our audience, I yeah. think, has finally figured Usually Matt and I are together and our guest is somewhere else. But um, I'm going to use a funny story, and I'll let you tell it, uh, Lynn, how we were introduced. We were sitting around a tap off in D.C., and we were enjoying a beverage, as one does. And all I heard was you starting to laugh about being able to tell the size of a bear by the size of its ears, and it just caught my attention. And I was like, what are these people <laughs> talking about? <laughs> well, it, it, um, it, interestingly enough, if I could actually just back it up, it was almost the year prior, uh, the first time that I actually saw you and Matt um, give a, a speaking engagement was at the New York Tactical Officers Associations Conference, which was also a part of the TACOPS series of conferences. And, um, you know, it's, it's very telling when you, when you meet people. I mean, majority of the time when you go to things like that, you, it's already implied that the individuals you're, you're seeing are, are vetted and certainly, you know, carry some, some gravity to them. But the reception that you received in the intro that you got from Dave Grossman, I mean, talk about, like, get you guys up as far as, like, okay, and I'm expecting to see something here, you know. Uh, so it, it was a wonderful um, presentation that you both gave, and I, it's always good when you walk away from something feeling good about it. So we we briefly had that kind of interaction, but then when, yeah, at Pack Ops East in D.C., getting to sit down around the table, and where most good ideas come from is uh, a few, you know, Cervezas in, or as uh, Master Guns Chunk Padilla would say, you know, you've got to get to 100%. And then your perfect file folder for keeping those ideas is your half-wet cocktail napkin that, that your uh, drink was sitting on. But um, that was really it had to do with advanced critical thinking. And so the story was about uh, a gentleman by the name of Don Yeager. Um, and if you recognize that last name, he was uh, – General Chuck Yeager's son. Um, so that family has a history of service. So 
you know, obviously uh, Chuck Yeager, uh, first person to break the sound barrier. Um, Don uh, fought. It, he was in the Army. He was in the central uh, highlands of Vietnam, did, did several tours there and lived to tell the tale. His son, Kip, uh, also a Marine, uh, and we choose the same dirt in Fallujah. Uh, so the, you're talking about some really good um, ge- generational um, individuals there. And so how I got to know Don was through my work in the Marine Corps with the Combat Hunter Program. Uh, and it was during the limited objective experiment for that. So I was part of what uh, you would call Team Lab Rat. And uh, we could get into a little bit more of that later. But, um, you know, I got the opportunity to go spend time with Don. He actually, you know, imagine this, a Vietnam veteran who is willing to go back into combat. He was one of the other individuals that went unarmed and embedded into Afghanistan with us to identify and set our threats. So that just gives you an idea of, like, the caliber of individual you're talking about here, right? And um, But I'll never forget being on a, on a, you know, this is in Colorado, being on a hike with him. And uh, for his age, that man still moves up and down these mountains like no problem. He puts my butt to shame. And uh, we see up ahead a bear. And the thing is, is as Matt, I'm sure you could, you know, you could go very in depth on a lot of times when you're dealing with large, wide open spaces, whether you're like on a ship and on water or you're talking about like elevated terrain, those wide open spaces, it's very hard to gauge depth perception and like, hey, how, how do I range estimate? Uh, it's probably the number one issue for a scout sniper, right? And so we're looking up and we see this bear. And, of course, you start with the, hey, bear, hey, bear, you know, type of deal, uh, just to let them know you're there because you don't want to spook them. But we're sitting there looking at him like, Don, like, how big do you think that thing is? And he's like, oh, that's a big bear. I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> so as he explains to me, it, you look at the ears relative to the head. So if the ears look really big in comparison to the head, then it's a young bear. Because apparently um, the ears, when they're born, they, they don't change much in size. So if it looks like that bear's got tiny little ears, that means that's a big flipping bear. Um, <laughs> so that was the that was to the uh, that that was the context of what, what you overheard when we were sitting around the table at the casino night for uh, Tac Ops East. Yeah, well, I'm sure anybody who's sitting on the other side of this conversation, whatever they're doing, they're thinking, I knew that, or they're thinking, I never knew that. And I'm thinking about the fact that my daughter and I were out in Montana uh, in August. I was out to see the, um, <laughs> the Flathead Mountain. A sheriff's department and did a one-day program for them. And I think, uh, according to the undersheriff, Wayne Dubois, who's a good friend of all of ours, uh, he said, I blew their minds that I probably could have given them a third of the information I shared with them because by lunch they were ready to implode. But it was funny because I'm thinking to myself, hey, my daughter and I are going over to National Glacier Park, you know, and so she and I get in the car and drive. With a ham sandwich. <laughs> We're literally packed up, you know, like <laughs> Yogi Bear style with our picnic basket. And uh, so we get a, <laughs> we get over to the park. And, you know, my daughter, she's a grown woman, and we're all excited, and we're going to drive up to Logan's Pass. And, no, not so much. We get into the park, and, of course, the two idiots 
not including my daughter, me, myself, and I, we, we bought the wrong path. So we, we could walk in the park, but we couldn't drive in the park. So they told us, hey, you can go down there and park in the west parking lot, and you can hike in three miles, and then you can grab the shuttle bus. And, of course, my daughter's hung over, and I, she'll never listen to this, so she doesn't know I'm saying this. <laughs> Neither does her husband, but she was hung over from drinking that night with uh, family friends in the sheriff's department. Um, former Marine and a, a, a former uh, uh, Army guy who were the uh, the siblings uh, of the undersheriff. And bottom line is we get out and <laughs> we start hiking three miles through the park. And, of course, first it's, it's real simple. And then all of a sudden there's a big-ass sign that says, you are now in grizzly country. And then it has rules. You know, yep. do not carry food. Uh, leave your backpack, keep your dog on a leash, and secure your bear spray. And she and I look at each other, and I'm like, okay, the ham sandwiches are going that way. The chips are going that way, and you and I are going straight ahead. And that was, we made yep. three miles in 45 minutes. That's how fast we were going. So um, the bear story has stayed with me for, for a while. And that uh, I'm going to turn this over to you for the first question. I can compose myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, I'm glad she's back here safely. She's not, you know, bear meal. Uh, but there's another right. story to that. Let's get back to you, Lynn, and, uh, you know, let's share with the audience on, on your history, and that's such a great opening, um, such a great story um, to just think about, you know, when you're looking at, you know, like you're saying, Hey, bear. Hey, bear. And you're like, oh, that's real bear. human terrain mapping. That's the bear mapping us for snacks. Yes. That's some good <laughs> intel there, brother. So, uh, hey, um, just kind of getting into, uh, you know, the, the hour here. Um, what, uh, you know, you've had quite a significant uh, career, Lynn. And uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience, you know, how did you get into your career? Um, you know, who was the most impactful um, that got you to where you're at? Oh, man. Um, I, I would say it's a pretty significant list. I don't think I could point to one specific person. I've had so many influences in my life. Uh, definitely a major influence was my grandfather. Um, he survived the Great Depression. He fought in the Philippines in World War II. And, and so he was, he, he was probably next to my father, you know, what I looked to as far as a... Uh, story pull, sort of speak, of what the expectations are for you, whether it's, you know, first and foremost, you know, service to your God, service to your family, service to your country. Um, those, those are kind of the big conceptual frameworks of what I've got. Um, and unfortunately, just recently, uh, a man by the name of Richard Miller, he, uh, he's a Marine, Vietnam veteran, but my, my mother actually connected me with them because she does a lot, did a lot of work with the hospital where I grew up in years as the president for the foundation of that hospital, the, the nonprofit that, that fundraises for it. But she knew I wanted to join the Marine Corps, so she connected me with him. And uh, so he's like, well, if you want to know more about the Marine Corps, he's like, here's where you can find out. Meet me at this address. And so I show up, and it, it was the job site for Habitat for humanity, the local area where where I lived, where they were building homes. And um, he said, I'll tell you everything you want to know, but you're going to have to work alongside me. So, you know, um, I learned some skills there, but I also got to pick, 
his brain. And, uh, you know, he was there when I, when I graduated at Paris Island. Um, but it, it's, uh, probably I would say the most, one of the most significant, um, individuals that got into where I am right now would have to be, uh, Don just because of his, um, ability to remove himself from what it was his experiences were in Vietnam and make them relevant for what we were dealing with, uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when I, and when I first, you know, got the ability to be a part of the combat hunter limited objective experiment, keep in mind, I'd already been in the Marine Corps eight years at that point. Uh, I was in Albania actually when 9-11 happened and, uh, and then was in an initial invasion in Iraq, immediately rolled over, went to Afghanistan. At the time, I'd already had speak with regard to combat, and I just remember different subject matter experts. Hey, Lynn, we're, we're having a little bit of a hard time hearing you, so I think we're going to go to an early commercial. And okay. uh, if we can, yeah, we can get our team in here to take us to a commercial. We're going to see if we can get this... Uh, uh, communications glitch taken care of. But don't go away. You're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times, and we will be right back with Lynn Sherpa Westover. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes, to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire, educate, impact, and transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams, and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common-sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. 
Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. We are talking to Lynn Sherpa Westover about human terrain mapping uh, and behavior recognition. And uh, when we went to break, we were just uh, getting a little bit of crackle in there. I think we, we got the production team to correct that. Lynn, and I know you were talking about <clears throat> some of the folks that have been influential in your life, and you talked a little bit about Don. Um, don't want to take anything away from him. Uh, if you want to complete that thought, and then let's jump right into um, the meat of our subject here, which is dealing with turbulent times. Right. Well, and I think uh, this would be a good segue. So uh, one day Don told me a story about uh, he, he was in Vietnam. He was in a patrol base. Um, and so just to, for the listeners to understand what that means, it's kind of like it, it's not in a very secure area, but it's a more secure area than it, than when you're just like out, out. And so he was sitting there and, and so his dad was also flying at the same time. And so his dad had an idea, Chuck had an idea of where Don was at in this patrol base. And there was one day in particular, um, and, it, and if memory serves, I think it was actually on Don's birthday, but I, I could be wrong. I may be misremembering that, but he did a low pass. He did a low flyby, um, and Don knew immediately that it was his father. Um, and so I just thought that was a really kind of cool story. It's just I think it really expands on whether it's, it's your leaders uh, or it's your, you know, your family, your mentors, you know, having that touchstone to hold on to is significant, um, especially when you're trying to kind of come up in the world. And it reminds me of uh, when I was first going through amphib- amphibious reconnaissance school. So before we consolidated it all into one school, we had amphibious reconnaissance school at EWTG Lant. So that was on the East Coast. Uh, Matt, I'm sure you're very familiar where that's at. Um, and then we had basic recon course at uh, EWTG PAC, which is the Expeditionary Warfare Training Group. That's what EWTG uh, stands for. And so they they're cover a whole bunch of things, but training is part of that. And that's where over in Coronado where you have BUDS, but you also have the basic recon course. And I was going through ARS, and I remember we were uh, getting into doing small craft work and the Marine Corps had just started fielding their, their new 55-horsepower engines. And there happened to be, I don't know which team it was or which troop, but there happened to be a SEAL team alongside us at the docks. And some of the younger, you know, newer SEALs were kind of grumbling. They're like, who the hell are these recon dudes? And why do they, you know, think they, you know, kind of get, get a little crabby about the fact that we had, like, new equipment because we're usually the last ones to get new equipment. And I'll never forget this chief walking up to one of those young sailors and saying, hey, you're sitting here complaining about the engines. You notice what you have that they don't have? And he's like, what, chief? He's like, you're wearing a wetsuit. They're not. <laughs> and if you know anything about Chesapeake, if they, in the, you know, and this is 
February time frame, you know, it's not, it's not the funnest place to be in the water without rubber on. So I just think it's kind of one of those things you need to have that individual to grab a hold of, whether it's through just visibility or even them coming around every once in a while and kind of recalibrating you as to, hey, what's important here? Absolutely. I love it. That's a great story. I mean, typical SEAL complains about everything, right? Happy sailor's a bitching sailor, as we say it. <laughs> That's right. Well, my favorite thing is like the Chiefs, just so that people can understand a little better about Chiefs, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, Matt, but you better be careful messing around on a boat with a Chief, and especially if you see them in uniform and they've got service stripes going all the way up to that to this to their rank and they're all in red because there's a difference between whether they're gold or they're red beware of that dude because you're you're messing with the wrong person i remember seeing a a, a captain and you can climb up this ladder and kiss my you know what <laughs> and so i just like i i love i mean marine corps in the navy have a very tight relationship, and I, I make the joke all the time. I have about as much sea time as most sailors. Um, and, in fact, the, the boats that are over there dealing with the threats going on in Israel right now, uh, both the Carter Hall and the Baton I was on, I, I deployed on uh, in, in multiple deployments going to combat. So, Lynn, let's, let's talk about a time when you were part of a – a team that was putting together a, you know, some kind of a, a mission. Uh, and okay. you were preparing, uh, you know, you've got a lot of experience here with, uh, you know, reconnaissance team leader courses, combat hunter program. You know, you, you, you do a lot of um, situational awareness and, you know, threat work. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell our audience how you go about preparing for these missions and maybe tell us a, a story about a time that you thought you were prepared and things went sideways. But given your own knowledge, your own emotional intelligence, your own ability to read things, your instincts, uh, you were able to kind of take that formula of knowledge and experience and put it together so that uh, things turned out the way that they should have. (laughs) That was my alarm going off. That that you should have, um, but you didn't see all the possible ramifications of what was going on. So you're trained to do that. Uh, yeah, no, it, it immediately, uh, of all the things that come to mind, the, the big one that comes to mind uh, was August 5th of 2011. So we were in the upper Sangin Valley of Afghanistan, uh, is in the Helmand province, and it was just south, where we were located at was just south of the Kajaki Dam. So for every, everybody that can you know, if they want to look at a map and see this area, but it's it's a little town that nobody will ever know about and really ever care about. But it was a significant area because you had the 611 highway that ran north and south, 
But the Taliban, what they would do is they would, we call them Helman Davidsons and Kandasakis. They, they would move through the area um, freely uh, along the river there. They wouldn't use the main highway. So mo- much of our work had to be on foot. Um, so we would go out and do what we called duration operations. We would set up, you know, little patrol bases uh, at different, you know, compounds, and we would give uh, different different colors of money. They, they call them SERP funds. Uh, I can't even remember the acronym, what it stood for, but it basically it was a compensation for Afghan locals whenever we would stay in their compound. So think of it as like an Afghan Airbnb is, is what we would do. And so in this particular mission, it was a 60-day-long mission. So we're bringing water pumps and stuff like that, and we were eating local food. So Don, if Don were to listen to this, he'd be laughing because this is very reminiscent of his time in Vietnam. But that was the mission and the operations. My team size was about nine team members. Um, and so we would have two teams and a forced reconnaissance platoon. So as you can imagine, it's a very small footprint. I think our total footprint was probably north of 28 with, with enablers, which is, you know, dog handlers or EODs, uh, etc. And uh, the battle space we were working was a regimental-sized battle space. So to give you an idea, Marine Infantry Regiment, somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,800 Marines. So it, it, it's really you're alone and out there on a freight. And so in, during the mission planning for this mission, they said, hey, uh, Sergeant Westover, Seth, Sergeant Ross, and you two are going to go, you know, your teams are going to do these areas, and we want you to go to this compound first. We looked at the compound, and we we're like, hey, this is not good for two reasons. Number one, we don't set patterns uh, because we know, we, we're being watched all the time. Uh, number two, uh, w- what could this possibly do for this individual that we stay with? It, it, it could tip some things over. He may end up getting a night letter, which is basically the Taliban's way of saying, hey, you're, you're stepping out of the box, and we will smite thee from the neck. So, you know, it's a danger to them. And, we, and I always say what I tell people, like, what makes me similar to what law enforcement have to deal with is that the way I treat you determines when I walk through this village. For me, in a lot of cases, it's determined whether or not I walked out of that village on my own power or I went home in a body bag on a dust off. So we took that very seriously. Well, you don't get to make those decisions sometimes. <laughs> they said, well, you will go execute. So this is the first place we're going to. As we're moving in at the evening, see that, that whole area, they call it the green zone, and it's because it's all, all the water that comes off of the Helmand River and the river basin there is what they use for irrigation. So that's all of their agriculture is there. And typically they use flood irrigation. Um, so that means they, ha- they have diesel pumps that pump water from, from the river into canals that then feed the feed the different plots of land. Typically, they rotate their their crops. That particular evening, as we're our way in at zero dark, who gives a damn, all of the fields were flooded, every single one of them. And when you're carrying, you know, close to 200 pounds of lightweight equipment, that means you're post-holing through waist-deep mud pretty much the whole way. We had to stop several times, clean out of barrels, so in case we got engaged, we could actually fire our weapon systems. It, It was a nightmare. We finally get into start making our way into town, and some of the things we started noticing, we call this atmospheric within the, within the training 
but atmospherically, first, because it was getting early morning, didn't saw anybody cooking food. Um, the next thing we noticed is that nobody was actually out working the fields. And for my farmers out there, they know very well that in the summer when you're working on the farm, the most times you work, the most amount of work you get done is early in the morning or late at night because of how hot it gets. Well, there's nobody out working. One of the big indicators, though, was that the muzzin did not go and give call to prayer. And what that's tantamount to is if you and your normal, like your hometown, you have a clock tower, and on this particular day the clock tower doesn't chime, that's an atmospheric shift. That's a pre-event indicator. Something's up. Either the most probable, the clock tower is broken, but most dangerous, something significant happened. And so I'm now knocking on the door, and during that time frame, the rules of engagement limited us to being able to go into compounds at night without a level confirmation brief. That meant you had to go to a general. It's like getting a search warrant. Um, so we had to wait till the sun came up. We knock on the door. Dude won't, dude won't come out. I know this guy. I'm like, Mahmoud, hey, Tataracha, you know, c- come here, come on, l- let us in. Um, I know he's in there because I've got ISR, I've got intelligence surveillance reconnaissance predator drone up above that can see eight warm bodies in the open air compound. Finally, he comes to the door, tells me he won't let me in. As we were having this conversation, I noticed there's some graffiti because now I can see. I noticed there's some graffiti on the wall. It had been found. I asked my translator, I said, hey, what does this mean? And he tells me it's nonsense. He tells me it doesn't mean anything. It's not even, he can't even tell, like, what it's spelling out. Somebody put it up there. It wasn't there before. Finally, the, the owner says, okay, fine. If you're coming in, we're leaving. He packs up his family, walking through the mud. He doesn't take the pathways. He goes walking through the mud, crosses chest-deep, fast-running water, which was the mini helmet, is a little canal off of the Helmand River, and he's gone. And wouldn't you believe, within a half an hour, my team was the first team out to do presence patrols uh, within that first half hour. I couldn't even get half my team out the door before we got engaged from three directions down the alleyways with heavy machine guns, PKMs, RPKs. Um, pull my team back in. We're in our team room. And I'm telling them, I'm like, hey, with this guys, this is a big deal. My worst fear in the world was getting overrun. I will not be on an exploitation video, and I will not let any of my guys either. And I'm warning them. I'm like, keep your kit on. Keep your head together. This is a long day. And this is day one of we, we got 59 in a wake-up. Words coming out of my mouth. Worst thing you can ever. Man down. Uh, <clears throat> Daniel Gurr was up on rooftop watch, and uh, he, took a, he took a round through his left eye. It took out the whole back left-hand side of his head. It took us 31 minutes to get up to the roof. We had to intubate him, um, and then under heavy, heavy machine gun fire, get him down off the roof. Um, Did everything we can, but unfortunately, he succumbed on his flight down to Bastion. Uh, And then we got counterattacked once again, uh, taking grenades over the walls and stuff like that, and, and two of our Afghans got severely wounded. Another one was minor wounded. And we had to medevac them. The Bashona, which is Pashtu for shoulder to shoulder, you know, those, those were our team members. That, that, that hurt us a lot, losing those members. Um, 
that was probably the hardest leadership challenge I've ever experienced in my life. Some of these kids, and I call them kids because for, with the exception of me, Ross, and the platoon sergeant, that, that was their first combat deployment. Um, they went to school with Danny. Some of them knew him, you know, in his personal life, knew his family real well. And so having to tell them, I know this is tough, but we've got a mission to do. We've got 59 more days out here, and we'll deal with it later. Just hold on to it. So we all make it, um, save for that incident. And um, so a year later, I'm out of the Marine Corps. I'm back in Afghanistan teaching insider threat. And I tell this story for two reasons. Reason number one is I will never let anybody forget who Daniel Gurr is. Um, as Hemingway wrote, a man dies twice, once when he's buried and so I tell it as a cautionary tale um, as well, aside from the healing aspect of it, and that an atmospheric shift may be your only significant pre-event indicator, observable. You see that writing on that wall, because we're in Afghanistan now, category level three. Hey, Lynn, we're going to go ahead and go um, to a quick break, and okay. you know, I hate to interrupt the story at, at this juncture, but again... I think we're no problem. We're going, yeah, we're going in and out a little bit. So what I want to do is we're going to go to a break. We're going to come back, and I want to I want to kind of do a recount on again lessons learned from this experience. Right. And let yeah mm-hmm. let's let's go through them so the audience uh, is clear on how what you saw uh, and how you were informed made the decision uh, that you had in the moment much right. less perilous, even though you knew there were some things going on uh, that you that you should have accounted for. So we're going to go to a quick break. Right. Don't go away. Okay. We'll be right back to strategies for turbulent times. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire, educate, impact, and transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. 
They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams, and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common-sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show, Strategies for Turbulent Times. Um, a great conversation with Lynn West over here. Uh, as he's sharing a story, uh, not a story, but an experience um, of when he was over in Afghanistan and the Hel- Helmand uh, province, but also um, the the uh, valley there, as he uh, had unfortunately experienced um, some heavy uh, heavy gunfire, uh, losing a team member, but also the experiences as being a leader uh, that he learned from. Now, Lynn, thank you so much for sharing the story, and I know it's not easy, um, you know, reflecting and going back. I mean, it brings a lot of emotions, brings a lot of uh, um, for lack of better terms, you know, PTSD, and that's not our intentions. Uh, but uh, just to learn from what others have experienced, I think, is is really uh, genuine for the audience to understand. Um, and you were sharing also what I love about how you're talking about the story is that <clears throat> you, you tied it into what law enforcement is going through these days as well. Um, so, right. Um, if you if you wouldn't mind, you were talking towards the end there on how you got back. So now you know you're out of the Marine Corps and you're teaching these leadership lessons um, to the next generation that's coming through. If you uh, wouldn't mind just you know kicking it off from there. Yeah. So, and the, the purpose of all that during those insider threat games was to again try to you know when when you have that insider threat, it's it, you're really solely going based off of behavior to try to achieve threat identification rapidly, right? And so the, you know, coming back to it, the reason, you know, why I tell that story now is I was back in Afghanistan recounting that, one, for healing, two, for letting no one forget Daniel Gurr, but three, like, what were our lessons learned? And so as I'm sitting in the class telling the story, I have these two Afghan interpreters. See, there's a difference between an interpreter and a translator, and I'll dial that in here in a second. But they turn ghost white, and it's certainly an atmospheric shift within the class, right? So you can have an atmospheric shift that doesn't necessarily have to be like a murder, death, kill kind of thing. Like if any of us who've ever walked in on mom and dad and not like that, like mom and dad were having an argument, 
And for our benefit, they may have stopped arguing, but we knew atmospherically the sights, the sounds, the feel, the mood of that situation. Something's wrong with mom and dad, right? So all of a sudden the class, you know, kind of got a little weird because these two individuals just acted way out of character. And so we took a break. I pulled them aside and I said, gentlemen, hey, you know, I hope I didn't say anything to offend you culturally or whatever. Like, you know, I'm just trying to tell the story and, and what, why it's important. And they're like, Sherpa. They're like, no, you, you're fine. That, do you know what that means? And I have a, cause the, we have video of the medevac for Daniel's medevac. And in the video, you can see the wall and you can see the graffiti on the side of the wall that was scrubbed down. And I'm like, no, I don't know what it means. My translator told me it was nonsense. And they said, Sherpa, it means douchman. It means enemy. They marked the house. Mm. So letting that sink in for a second, like, I can't tell you that I can't prove a negative. I can't tell you that anything would have been any different if I had known that then. I can't tell you that Danny Gurr would be alive today. I, I can't tell you any of that. Number one, I'm not going to let anybody forget him. But number two, I'm not going to let anybody forget that that atmospheric shift may be your only observable pre-event indicator, maybe the only thing that you get. You know, you're walking into the convenience store or whatever, and it's like, well, wait a minute, something's not right here. The coffee's not brewing or whatever the case may be. Like, trust your gut. Intuitively, primitively, that's built on board by design by our maker, right? So to kind of lighten the mood just for a second, <laughs> to expand on what the difference is between an interpreter and a translator. So we had this guy who's a reserve, reserve recon marine, old rustine, master guns. You would say he started out as a Georgia deputy sheriff, went into ICE, which is the, the you know, customs immigration, like uh, fugitive kind of recovery arm of, of uh, U.S. federal government. And he ultimately became a, uh, a uh, firearms instructor at Fletby at Glencoe. But being from Georgia, he kind of had this, like, you know, this southern drawl, you know, and he was real smooth. And uh, one day he's talking to this village elder, and he says to the man through his translator, he goes, hey, you tell him that that dog don't hunt, and he likes to piss me off. Now, for most of us, whether we're from the South or not, in the U.S., we know what that means. Hey, you know, you're, you're, I think you're lying and you're, you're starting to upset me is basically what he's saying. The translator, word for word, said to the Afghan, there's something wrong with this man's dog, and he has to urinate. So the point is, is there can be things that are lost in translation, and you have right. to take in effect, like, culture as context as well. Yep. That's where the emotional intelligence comes in, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So as you uh, process these stories out and these facts out through, you know, as we have discovered atmospheric um, the you know the geographic insights based on uh, what's going on uh, around you and the obviously the the tenor of the temperament of the people that you're working with. Uh, mm-hmm. When when you train people, what are the do you ever look for these instincts naturally, and how do you identify them for people? Well, yeah, and that's, that's the big premise of the training is uh, 
using the intuitive thought process, the, the intuitive understanding of human behavior, and, okay, how do I articulate it? How do I put it to words? And the real simple way of looking at it is, hey, just like when we were hanging out at, at Tac Ops East there in D.C., if we went to the bar grill, regardless of your experience level or what you did in your background, you know, I, I could say, hey, over there back in the corner where the pool tables are, that group of guys over there, out of that group, who's going to be our problem child? Intuitively, most people within about five minutes are going to be able to go, that guy right there. The so what is, well, how do you know? And when you have the ability to say, well, look, biometrically, his histamines just popped. He got red in the face, flushing the face, anger, embarrassment, or physical exertion. And proximically, you see how he moved, shifted in his chair? Yeah, he's looking to this other guy over here. That dude's in charge. So I have a MAID acronym, Mimicry, Adoration, Direction, Entourage with that. Geographically, within this location, the atmospheres, the normal baseline for how people act here, they don't act like that in this club. It's a different, these guys are either from out of town or, or whatever the case may be. And you start to put those things together heuristically within your mind. But it's how do I effectively express that? Because as we used to say in the recon community, if you're not talking, you're camping. So communication-wise, you have to ask yourself these three questions. What do I know? Who needs to know? And have I told them yet? And it, big, big, big now, as you mentioned, like, there's, you know, I have my IQ, my intellectual quotient, but now we've been looking a lot now at EQ, the, the emotional quotient, emotional intelligence, right? And what I would say that all human terrain mapping is, because it throws people off sometimes, it's just really blending all that in and understanding what, what's the cultural quotient, what's, what's the, you know, how, how's my cultural understanding of this particular scenario situation and realizing, too, that that can change from block to block. You know, we could walk one block down, two blocks over, and you're going to encounter a totally different culture than where you're sitting at right now and where some things may be appropriate, they are no longer appropriate. So it's just constantly reassessing that baseline. And it, it, what's beautiful about it is it, it doesn't have to be externally, right? So we can talk about threat situations and law enforcement or combat or whatever, but I can also use this internally. Like, hey, what am I putting out towards people? I exercise a little bit of tactical cunning. Look at myself mm -hmm. in the mirror and say, how is my behavior impacting this situation or scenario? Or looking at my personnel, like, hey, you know, what's going on with this individual here? Like, are they, are they going through difficult times? Are they, are they dealing with something at home? Because those things do impact your decision-making as much as we'd like to say, oh, yeah, my personal life stays at home. We just know that not to be accurate. No, we, we, we definitely know that that's not the case, and that's one of the reasons why we've teamed with uh, the National Command and Staff College and specifically this MagnusWorks.com platform because that's what we're trying to do exactly, Lynn. As you've just expressed, is giving everybody an opportunity to look at their own emotional intelligence, their own self-perception, their own self-expression, and then those interpersonal relationships. And that's not only to make them a better version of them with their family and their team members, but to the point you're mm -hmm. making as we come to close here on the show today before we get into our final question, is uh, do other people see that I am not 100%? And can people read, excuse the expression, my atmospherics, right? Because we're all putting mm -hmm. on data 
constantly. So that was a, an amazing opportunity to share with you, and we'll have to have you back to, to share Absolutely. some more. But Matt has a final question for you here. Well, you know, Lynn, I love how, uh, you know, you took off there at the end, um, and we definitely want to have you back on the show to talk more about, um, you know, human behaviors and uh, how you read them, but also how you read yourself. Um, but for the last question, and it's been a quick hour, so um, I wish we had another hour just to get into that. So, um, But for the last question, from the shock and awe in Iraq, you know, to the story, uh, the experience that you had in Afghanistan, you know, being in waste, deep water, mud, you know, we all, you know, now that you're tired, what's your favorite pair of socks? My favorite pair of socks? Ooh, yeah. my favorite yeah. pair of socks are in gingies. There's a toe sock. Okay. So every year I've run the every year I've run the Marine Corps Marathon since I got out as a as a uh, oh. I, I look at it as an op- opportunity for me to check my man card once a year. And the last this will be I believe the sixth year that I've done the ultra marathon. And what's also interesting about that is I don't get to train as much as I would like to for this. In fact, this year I haven't trained at all. I think I ran five miles once and I'm getting ready to run 31 miles at the end of the month. Yeah, the end of this month. Wow. Well, congratulations, because that is an amazing opportunity. And I used to live right there behind Arlington Cemetery, and I would watch the runners, and I'd stand at the finish line and cheer them on. But we're cheering you on, dude, uh, whatever socks you wear, and thanks for sharing. We're going to have to say goodbye. We love you. We love our audience. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for helping make us the number one show on Voice America and for taking everything we give you with love and passing it along. Take good care and be safe out there. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Strategies for Turbulent Times. We hope Dr. Kat and Captain Matt were able to help you create a plan or simply steer clear of the unknown with ways to overcome challenges in your own life. Until next time, be brilliant and stay fearless.